0: Boundaries protect our relationships. Uh, Not just your relationship with other people, but your relationship with yourself. So boundaries create trust and safety externally and also internally within yourself. So your relationship with yourself and your relationship with other people. I think they're really foundational within relationships.
1: Hi, I'm Beth Anderson Filson and my law firm is Anderson Law PC. We do custody issues, we do divorce, estate planning, probate, elder law. All of these things involve families and families change form. You may have a death, you may have a breakup, but I like to think you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. And a topic that comes up a lot lately, and it's something that is important to me in my work, in my personal, and with my clients, that topic is boundaries. And so we are so fortunate today to have an expert in boundaries, and that is Carolyn Elgus. And so Carolyn, just introduce yourself, your contact information
0: will also be in the show notes, but go ahead. Thanks, Beth. I'm Carolyn Elgis with Carolyn Elgus Coaching. I am a business coach for business owners, meaning that I'm a non-traditional business coach, and I specialize in boundary work.
1: Excellent. And what is a way that someone could get in touch with you just really quickly? I know for me, my cell phone, 303-808-4794. How about for yourself? And you don't have to give your sellout. I'm just weird that I do that.
0: I know. I don't have a problem with that at all. I think a text is really easy, especially on a podcast. So 720 987 7076. Also, Carolyn Elgus Coaching at gmail.com is my email. And I mean, that would be just the best way to search me is Carolyn Elgus Coaching. I'm on Instagram as well. Excellent. So let's
1: start with
0: what is a boundary? Thanks, yeah, that's a great question and I'm going to do kind of a boundary definition progression. It shouldn't take too long, but I think it really helps paint the picture of what a boundary is because a boundary is rather intangible and part of my job is helping people understand something that is intangible as a boundary and make it tangible for them. So simply simply put, a boundary is a line drawn between two territories or at least that's in the dictionary, and when they decide, or a line drawn between two persons or body, when they adapted that term to mean personal or interpersonal boundaries. I I love that, I think that's true, but it's very simple. The next place that I look for boundaries is my favorite researcher author, Brené Brown. Are you familiar, familiar with her work? Yeah, 100%. Yes. She defines boundaries as anything that you you don't want and I that really got me curious I love that definition because it really expanded and showed how complicated and fluid boundaries really can be but I still thought that was incomplete because if you struggle with boundaries or really if you're just a person in general how many times do you make yourself do something you don't wanna do per day so I thought it was an incomplete definition but it still had a lot of validity because one of the things I do with my clients is help them do more of the things they wanna do and less of the things they don't wanna do. So I took that definition and I dug a little deeper. Why wouldn't you wanna do something? And for me, it's because something is being taken away or it became an energetic loop of you're giving more than you're receiving. So I define a boundary as any place where you give more than you get back or a place that takes more than you've, you know, than it gives. And I like to follow that up with an example because again, it's you know, so people can understand that. So a good example would be if you have a friend or a neighbor, maybe it's even a family member and they ask you to do a favor. Say it's watching their dog and you like dogs you are happy to help somebody out, and then also they they really appreciate your help. So what you give is your time and your energy, and maybe your expertise, maybe you're really good with dogs. And what you get back is the enjoyment of being around that dog, the enjoyment of helping somebody, and also the appreciation you get from that person but let's say that person sees how much you enjoyed it and they think it's easy for you so now they just assume you want to do it regularly but the truth is you really don't have time to do it regularly maybe you didn't enjoy that dog as much as you thought you might and now you really aren't getting any appreciation and you don't enjoy the fact that they just assume you want to do it so now You would be giving your time, your energy, and you would be getting mostly nothing back. Now, this is what I would call an unequal or a negative energy loop and a really great place to have a boundary.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate your definition. And I was thinking a lot about something you don't want because something that came to mind for me might be, oh, burpees. I don't want to do them. But I do them because I actually want what they provide more than I dislike them. So ultimately, it's something I do want, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's a limit. If there's too many, no, I don't want that. So that would be a depletion of energy that isn't worth it to me, whereas doing a few in my exercise class, I'm perfectly fine with it. So I really like that energy idea of thinking about boundaries, and I think about them all the time, and I love your approach to it so
0: let's get to the idea of why is a boundary good yeah well boundaries are good because they protect our time our energy and our resources and that's really important on a very basic level also protect us and you know they're a safety mechanism and one thing that we don't think about is that boundaries protect our relationships uh, not just your relationship with other people, but your relationship with yourself. So boundaries create trust and safety for um, externally and also internally within yourself. So your relationship with yourself and your relationship with other people. I think they're really foundational when in, within relationships.
1: For sure. And I hadn't really realized some things about boundaries in relationships. Maybe it's the generation I was raised in that I didn't really get it and in work. And sometimes I remember I would talk to a colleague, oh, I'm so frustrated about something at work. And maybe my associate would say, well, you're not compensating yourself for that. As a business owner, you might be reluctant to compensate yourself sometimes. And I realized if I don't do that, it creates resentment. So that might be one way I protected a boundary, but what are some ways that we can protect our boundaries?
0: I think it really starts with awareness understanding what where our boundaries are and that often for me when I'm talking to people a boundary awareness often starts with looking back at places where we didn't have good boundaries and really kind of walking the cat backwards to a place where there was a part of you that recognized that there was a boundary and then there was another part of you that want it to be the good friend or the good daughter or the good employee and overrode the part of you that was like, wait, I want a boundary here because the need to please or be liked or be the good fill in the blank overrode your need for the boundary. So when you walk it back and you find that moment where the boundary should have happened, you start to gain awareness around the boundary. What about
1: words? Is there a way to use our words or actions other than awareness to protect our boundaries? Are there specific things we can do yeah. or say, I guess?
0: Yes. No is not a bad word. And we kind of think it is because if you're, if you're a sensitive person and you don't like to hear no, then you don't like to say no either.
1: Yeah, and I've heard no is a complete sentence. And Absolutely. Then you, yeah, and you can end with that. And I
0: remember when I
1: didn't know that and just becoming aware of it.
0: Yeah, it's a good reminder. No is okay, and it's a complete sentence. That's the other thing. When you're putting a boundary down, you don't necessarily have to explain why. You can just put your boundary down. That's actually a stronger boundary to just say, no, no
1: thanks. That's something I work on professionally too because I do want to explain why we do things. I have found when you say do this or that and you don't offer an explanation, sometimes people don't respect it. They just think you're being a dictator or -hmm. something. On the other hand, now I've drifted into over-explaining. And so I think sometimes that can even transition into defensiveness or just a tedious recitation of all these things that might bother the person who's listening to you. And so I'm working really hard on keeping it short and sweet, whether it's in personal or in work or with my clients to be short and sweet and even ask would an example help because I have a tendency to use analogies and examples and sometimes just being succinct
0: is good enough. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I love that you said ask if an example would help because you're asking you're actually asking a person for their permission and that's a form of a boundary as well. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And actually someone told me to do that
1: because I do have a tendency to go on. So I'm, again, working very hard on being concise. Now, how do we know when someone or something has
0: crossed our boundary? Yeah, that's a great question. So you will often feel... You'll feel it. It'll be, It'll feel like irritation, frustration, overwhelm, tiredness, exhaustion. And this will be out of the blue. Like it will come out of left field and that you're not normally feeling those feelings, but all of, you might be having a perfectly good day. And then you think about something that you committed to when you really didn't want to do it. And next thing you know, you feel irritated or just exhausted. And that's a really good sign that you crossed a boundary and, you know, you're doing something for someone that isn't really an equal exchange. You're going to be giving more than you're going to be receiving.
1: Yeah, or the resentfulness and anger that I felt when I was letting my boundary be crossed. And I can't really blame anyone but myself setting a boundary is the remedy. So I've experienced that and I'll give a very personal example um, because it's about me, but I'm in a blended family. I'm remarried and early in my second marriage, I started to be a bit angry all the time. It was low key. I wasn't screaming or cursing or acting out, but I did feel angry inside and that's when I realized I was walking on eggshells in my new marriage because I wanted it to go well. And I was so invested in that that I stopped doing the things I like to do. And so that was something that my son, who lived with us, picked up on it, and my husband picked up on it. And they said, Why are you so angry? And I said, I honestly don't know. And Mm. that's when I did my own therapy and I found out I wasn't doing the things I like to do. I had become this person who was always complying maybe scared of a second divorce. I don't know why I acted like that, but I learned to start going back to doing the things I like to do and to be the person I always was. So I think that's how I learned about boundaries originally. Even though I'd read Henry Cloud's book on boundaries twice, I still made that mistake. And it's always a work in progress for me, but that was a really clear cut example of me Realizing that I had let a boundary be crossed and I didn't even know why. So I think sometimes that low-grade resentment or anger explore it a little bit. And how can you redirect yourself? Most of the time, no one asked you to do those things. Mm -hmm. The classic case for me is like someone made a big Thanksgiving dinner with multiple pies and turkeys and all that. And no one asked her to do that. They would have been fine with something simple. She chose to do it and then she resented it. And who knows where that came from, but those are just some of my own personal experiences. I did not do a huge Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) with all the trimmings. I always enjoyed my Thanksgivings, but that's just an example. That's how you know that a boundary was crossed, but what should you do if you don't like the way you're being treated? What are some suggestions?
0: Honor your own boundaries if you don't like the way you're, you're treated. I mean, the only person that you can really you have control over is yourself. So if you don't like the way you're being treated, you can put a physical boundary. You know, if you don't like a conversation, you don't have to participate. You can put space between you and that person, walk out of the room. Um, you can tell people that you're uncomfortable. Right, And that would be a way of honoring your boundary with how they're treating you. It really depends on your comfort level of how confrontational you want to be. It's so dependent on the situation.
1: Sure. And then sometimes with me, I was talking about the low-grade anger and I really did overcome it and did the work, but this still happens. What about when you don't like the way you are reacting to a violation of a boundary? Because sometimes I think it's tapping into something maybe from a long time ago and it triggers something. And you go into, I've heard, fight, flight, fawn is another one. Uh Freeze. Fawning is kind of like you're sucking up or being childlike. Freeze. And then I even sometimes think fix, like, I try to fix all these problems that aren't my business to fix. So all of those things are just strong emotions. What can we do when we find ourselves reacting in a way that we don't really like?
0: Sure, yeah. I I think I know where you're coming from. So one, I think you should celebrate the fact that you recognize you had a boundary, even if it was from a boundary fallout. I call this... Boundaries in hindsight or boundaries after the fact. I was thinking about lawyer terms when I was coming onto your podcast, Path, And this is how we see boundaries when we're first learning to recognize and understand our boundaries. So it is a cause for celebration. But often, because your your a boundary has been crossed, it's often after somebody has walked across your lawn, through your front door, up your stairs, and in, now they're eating popcorn in your bed, that you finally recognize this boundary. That's funny. And you're a little irritated by it and you might not react as calmly as you would have if you'd seen the boundary coming in the moment. So I think you've got to give yourself a lot of grace. Congratulate yourself for having that boundary and this is where I like to do a lot of the work of walking back the cat to see a lot of us a lot of my clients are like I don't have boundaries or I am not good at boundaries and that's just not true. We all have boundaries, we're just disconnected from them. So by walking back the cat to that place where they felt that boundary and they disregarded it, that's really good awareness of learning to recognize that boundary before it's walked through your living room and really pissed you off.
1: Yeah, that makes sense and even just staying in a good state, especially if you're going into a situation where you think something might be triggering to you or nerve-wracking. In my office, we do practice. Like If we have a phone call coming up, maybe with the staff or a client, we'll practice it until it becomes routine and I think I got that from practicing for court. Yeah, And so that's helped us a lot so that you just don't go into that autopilot reaction, but instead you're acting with planning and you're responding in a mature way. And then I just love that you said, give yourself grace, because that's something I don't think I even figured out till a couple of weeks ago. I was holding myself to a standard that I have to react to everything with perfection. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a pretty calm person, so I'm not going to be someone who's going off and having temper tantrums and yelling and screaming. But even just to be emotional, I think sometimes I just would be hard on myself for getting deep in my emotions or not saying the perfect thing all the time. And I'm learning, hey, that's okay. I had something happen. I reacted to it and I learned I don't like that thing. And now I'll figure out where I want to go from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Beating yourself up about something that happened in the past, even if it's the recent past, is never helpful. I mean, obviously we do it. I also like that you talked about the practicing because we in the coaching world say what what you do, what wires together, what fires together, wires together, and that's based in neuroscience with the the myelin. So when you practice, you're wrapping that neural pathway with myelin so that you have access to it faster. So when you practice your boundaries, the more you do it, the easier it will become to have that awareness and see them before they happen.
1: That's so interesting. I didn't know you were going to talk about that. I think that's the myelin sheath that Mm kind of goes around our nerves. And I've learned about that and that sometimes there's a degradation of it due to trauma and um, how the brain atrophies. And I'm just pretty obsessed. I always have been with both the mind and the brain and it's an exciting time to be alive because we're learning so much about neuroplasticity and epigenetics and how much control we have over things that before we thought were 100% nature versus nurture and now we're just learning. We can reinvent so much. So that's really exciting to me. I didn't even know about that. So that was kind of a treat for me that you brought that up.
0: Yeah, a really great book is The Talent Code. And I don't remember the author, but he talks about that at length, that often people that we think are born talented, that we think talent's born, but actually it's created through practice.
1: Yeah, I have an example of that where we had a re- like a relative and one person had a natural talent for something and the other person just applied themselves And then the one who had zero talent in that field ended up exceeding just by discipline and becoming one of the top in that area. I love that. So yeah, it's an exciting time, like I said, to be learning so much about this. And it must be a fun time to be a
0: coach. It is. It is an exciting time to be a coach. and We learn a lot through the the neuroscience field about how the brain works. And we can tap into that. And I think the reality of what you were saying, that story you told about one was was talented and one just worked hard is that with a lot of work and practice you can accomplish so much. So let's take this to
1: something more related to my field which is in large part being a family law attorney and divorce for example. This involves breakups and when there's a divorce or a breakup what are some things to keep in mind in terms of boundaries?
0: I think I mean the golden rule, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's so true. Stay in your integrity, even if they're not, I think that is really helpful. If you stay in your integrity, no matter how hard it is, it's helpful. Because if you open up that door, they can walk through it too. So that's really important. And then the other one is if you can this is something I practice with my clients a lot. Circumstances are neutral. It doesn't I know that you're like, that doesn't sound true, but they are almost they are always neutral. It's the the thought and all the stories attached to that thought that create them to be a positive or negative experience. So try to look at it in a neutral light, and that will really help. That gets me thinking about a podcast I was listening to today.
1: I listen to podcasts obsessively, me too. probably. I love them. And one today was talking about someone who her father had PTSD, and when... He was in a military conflict and when he got triggered with his PTSD, he actually was in the episode again. Like his Mm. thoughts were so profound that he was back in the episode again and everything was happening to him again. And it just shows the power of thought from past circumstances and the power of the mind that we're living in this reality that in large part is something based on our own thoughts.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a trauma trigger, but you're right. Our brain cannot tell the difference between actuality and a thought for the most part. So some, one of my first coaches did this to me. She was like, think about a slice of lemon and think about then, you know, taking it and putting it into your mouth. And you almost always will feel that little bit of salivating that will happen when you think of something sour. And it's- I did it. I was salivating when you said it. <laughs> So it's true.
1: Yeah. 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 That's something I've learned. And also, I have to know that with my clients, that if they're in a certain emotional state, you can't think past your emotions. So if they're really worked up, they're not going to make a rational choice in the middle of mediation or court. You have to take them down to a level where they come out of that. And the emotions are based on things that might have happened a long time ago, not in the courtroom or in the mediation. And I think as a younger attorney, less experience in family law, I might have tried to soldier on. Obviously, I'd let them take a break if they're really freaked out. But now I realize, oh, they're in big emotions. There's nothing I can do. We need to press pause until they get to a state where they're outside of those emotions because those emotions are not about what's happening in the courtroom. Usually, they're not about what's happening in the mediation or the conversation. Usually, they go into something that may go back to their childhood even.
0: Absolutely, and just doing some breathing can help soothe and trigger, I think it's the parasympathetic nervous system, which will bring you down. And when you're in that part of your brain that's reactionary, you're, you don't have access to your conscious thinking, frontal cortex part of your brain. So if you're triggered, um, once you've calmed down a little bit, one of the things you can do is ask yourself, why did that trigger me so much? And if you can kind of walk that back and figure it out and look at it, what you'll find is the knowledge of why will help dissipate that trigger for you.
1: And I've also heard, figure out what triggered me. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I can't figure out the why. But I'll be, what was it? Oh, Mm -hmm. it was this person or this statement or this thing for me personally. And then I might ponder the why for a long time. Yeah. But um, just figure out what was that? Oh, um, now I can kind of figure it out. We were even talking today right before I came here at work about judges and how they make me nervous. And I have friends who are judges and they laugh at me when I tell them that they make me nervous. And side note, I don't get any special treatment from my friends who are judges because they're (laughs) all full of integrity. And there's no special treatment for me or my clients. But I realized, oh, part of it is I've been in court. I'm arguing so hard. Things don't always go the way that you want. Sometimes your client wants more than they can get. And that's a really emotional place. So, hmm, maybe that's why I don't like hanging out in a room full of judges. It's not my favorite thing to do. And I go to their social events. And it's just an example of being triggered, hmm, what is it? It's court, and we're calm, cool, and collected as lawyers in court, and I think that's a good reason to hire a lawyer. But over the years, just having the in and out and um, dealing with this kind of situation has affected my reaction to them as people a little bit, and they're perfectly normal. They're just like the rest of us when they're not sitting on the bench in their robes shouting out orders. (laughs) They're just regular
0: folks. That's a great reminder to realize that you know, underneath that robe, they're, they're regular people, but judges are, literally are the, the archetype of authority. So yeah. it, it does trigger that whole like, ooh, they've got the power and I've, I gotta be good.
1: Yeah, they literally cloak themselves
0: in authority and they
1: sit up so high. I'll never forget when I was in chambers with a judge and he was sh- much shorter than I am, and I was so freaked out because <laughs> they're so huge on that bench, it didn't cross my mind that he would be a short man after,
0: appeared before, after appearing before him many times. That's so interesting, the psychology of even putting their, their seat so much higher than everyone else as the seat of authority. That really reminded me of when I went to Washington, I went to the Lincoln Memorial. When you go, they make everything so big, like all the pillars are big. And it's yes true. to kind of like bring out that feeling of smallness and, and the grandeur of, like the authority and the statehood it's really interesting but powerful very powerful it's
1: awe-inspiring and by the way they need it because people have become so cavalier about court particularly online that sometimes they're way too casual They might be wearing pajama bottoms to court. I don't recommend that if you're appearing in court. They might um, be online and even I've heard of situations, not my clients, but where they're in bed during court or being really disrespectful. So I think there is a reason that we have a judicial system and it's profound and it's about fairness and it deserves respect. Yeah, and boundaries. For sure, and (laughs) yeah, they definitely have them. You don't approach the bench without permission. May I approach the bench? So, But yeah, I was emotional in my own divorce, and I thought I was just so cool, calm, and collected all the time, and when my clients were emotional, I thought, oh, I'm not like that. But when I got divorced, I was emotional, because it was me, Mm -hmm. and I hired an attorney, and that's something we bring to the table. I am not going to be emotional about your case. I may be a little, but I won't be in tears. I've had multiple cases where everyone in the courtroom's crying but me and the judge because we're there to do our jobs. Family law is very emotional, but I think that's something a lawyer brings to the table. And that's something to keep in mind when you're doing a divorce is to have someone protect you from all of the triggers of your emotions. hmm I also want to talk about, from a lawyer's perspective, an important boundary, and that's a protection order. People can get a civil protection order or a criminal protection order, and it's just a piece of paper. That piece of paper isn't magical. It doesn't force someone to stay away from you, but it does mean that if they violate what the paper says, like maybe come to your house or call you or try to manipulate you, Um, come to your workplace, that they violated the protection order and they could be held in contempt of court or even arrested. So my whole point is in divorce, be careful for your physical safety and stay away from threats or violence. Don't you do it. And if the other party does it, protect yourself. So that's one of the first boundaries I wanted to talk about from my perspective in breaking up.
0: Yeah, that's an important one.
1: And let me think about some other things that we had talked about. How to use boundaries instead of escalation or being reactionary. What does that mean?
0: I think when you're emotional and you're experiencing loss, that's some real, clean pain. And there's this this part of you that wants to kind of trigger the other person because you're in pain and create a pain cycle of like, I'm in pain, so I, you know, people in pain create pain sometimes so have that boundary with yourself of okay I'm feeling pain and that's okay and kind of just digging into the why of that and allowing yourself again that grace to feel that rather than causing pain to somebody else or escalating which is actually just a distraction from your own pain another thing that we talked about and that I've heard is stay neutral
1: Go gray stone. I've heard use the acronym DEEP to don't defend yourself, don't engage, don't escalate, don't take it personally. So, can you talk a
0: little bit about staying neutral and gray wall? What that yeah. is? Yeah. If you if you're around somebody and that is trying to trigger you, they're trying to get you to engage because that gives them back their power, or that's what they think gives them back their power. So, to say stay neutral and not take the bait and engage with them, you're keeping your power. Also, think about whenever you whenever you make some something somebody else's fault, you're putting the power outside of yourself and so you're actually taking power away from yourself. Yeah,
1: my sister always says, find your power in the situation. So I don't know where she got that, but it kind of echoes what you said. I
0: like and that. then,
1: yeah, and then for me, a huge boundary is protect your kids and don't bring them into it. They have their own boundaries and you're crossing it when you put them in the middle of a divorce because they are not equipped to deal with these adult issues and it's very stressful to them to feel like they're being put in the middle. So please respect the boundary around your children that they do not need to be pawns. They do not need to be informed of how terrible their other parent is. And they do not need to be exposed to adult issues, both in a kind of angry way, but also in a seductive way. This might be surprising to a lot of people, but in divorce, because kids are impressionable and can be manipulated, I've seen over the years a lot of adult behaviors being introduced to children, kind of to win them over, or I don't even understand it myself, but it does feel like grooming, where they're just, hey, let's hang out in the basement and watch this movie that's not appropriate or smoke weed or do adult behaviors, call the other parent a curse word, whatever it is. Stay away from all that. Keep the
0: kids out of it. That's really powerful stuff. That's so important with kids involved. And when you have healthy boundaries with them, you really are creating a safe space for them. And they'll, they'll look back and remember that. They might not know it at the age they are now, but They will definitely um, see it for what it
1: is. It reminded me another analogy that on playgrounds I've heard where they would have a fence where the kids can't go. They would go right up to the fence because it was a clear boundary. Mm -hmm. But if they didn't have a fence and there was maybe a sloping hill or something, they would stay even further away from it because there was no boundary there. They didn't know where it's safe to go. And it just reminds me of that, like kind of an analogy for if your kids don't know what is a boundary it kind of cripples them they don't know
0: where it's safe to go they may go too far or they may just stay away from you they're learning it through your behavior and I think part of the job of childhood is to find your boundaries so they're always looking for them and when they find them it gives them a feeling of safety
1: yeah and again going back to that like It's common to have two houses. One's more of a parenting house where they have boundaries on the kids and the other one's like a free-for-all. And kids might enjoy that, but ultimately you're doing them a disservice in the long run. The courts probably will be wise to it. And later they may resent that they got themselves into some pretty bad situations because no one was really paying enough attention to them to protect them from themselves and bad behaviors. Boundaries are safety for sure. And then another one from me as a lawyer is to stay apart during divorce. It gets hostile sometimes. And there's an automatic injunction when you file for divorce or when you receive the pleading and answer or waive service. And that is um, that you don't molest, harass, or disturb the peace of the other party. It's kind of archaic language, but it's just... Don't be bothering each other. Sometimes that physical distance can be helpful. Now is not the time to be getting in each other's faces and just take a time out. Maybe someday you'll be that couple that celebrates all the holidays together, but err on the side of separateness. It's hard to break up. Fighting is very intimate, just like marriage is intimate. And so you might get lured into, well, if we can't be together, we can fight together it kind of feels close to the same and that's not helping anyone. So now is not the time to be over interacting and keep a physical boundary. If you're living in the same house which is pretty common right now during divorce have certain boundaries about where you go, when you interact, what you do, who you bring there. It's short term this too shall pass but I think physical boundaries are Pretty important in that situation. So, is there anything final on um, boundaries
0: you'd like to wrap up with, Carolyn? I think we covered a lot. I mean, the physical boundary is—it's. I think your most basic, and it's—it's it's a very simple boundary. It's very powerful. I agree with that advice that you know. It's like even just taking that time to diffuse and giving yourself some space, which is a boundary. Yeah, definitely. And. um I just appreciate
1: you so much, and I really like your manner, the way that you speak. It's so comforting, so I bet <laughs> that's Thank a you. great comfort and delight to your clients. So now is the time, as we transition, to do the joke of the day, which is usually wait. <laughs> yeah, a lawyer or a divorce joke. And I do have one that I wanted to talk about, which is a client went to his lawyer and said, oh, I think my wife is leaving me because she believes i'm violating her personal boundaries and the lawyer said well what happened when she told you that what did you say and he said well she didn't so much tell me as i read it in her locked diary (laughs) (laughs) so that's
0: my boundaries joke of the day (laughs) the diary's locked for a reason
1: (laughs) I am sure a client has said that to me. I don't remember it distinctly, but it sounds like something a client would say. Purses are a boundary. Yeah, I could see someone saying that on the stand. Be good for laughs. So that's our joke of the day. Our next podcast will probably be something about insurance, which is not maybe the most exciting issue until you get divorced and you realize, oh, I wanna have insurance and maybe I don't wanna pay for the other person to have insurance and the kids are gonna need insurance and there's all these different kinds. So when you really think about insurance, people don't even know how it works, what it Mm -hmm. is, and what happens in divorce. So it's going to be insurance in divorce and in probate. And so do you have any thoughts on that topic? Like what's a legal question you might have about insurance in divorce or probate?
0: Yeah, what came up for me when you were talking about that is, and I haven't gone through it, but I'm married, uh, my husband was previously married, and so my question is like, how do you decide who pays for the health insurance for the children?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it is a little more complicated than you might originally think. There is something called family support software, which calculates child support, and they create a child support worksheet. And when they do that, one of the items they enter is health insurance. And so for health insurance, you look to, hmm, does one parent maybe get it from their employer? That might be the person who provides it. And then they enter the child's share of health insurance as a line item on that child support worksheet, and it goes into calculating how much child support is paid. They might also say, well, we'll both split it, or for people in poverty, they may qualify for Medicaid. There are a whole bunch of different things that you can do, but the norm is that one party provides insurance through their employer, and then the child's share or children's share is used on the child support worksheet, and if there's no child support, maybe you split it, or it can get a little complicated. But how you calculate that share is not what some people think. They might think, well, my insurance premium is five hundred a month, or let's just say six hundred a month for easy math. I have two kids, so two hundred for me and four hundred I'll write off on the kids. I divided by three. Not exactly the way it works. Usually, what you'll say is, how much do you pay for your health insurance out of pocket for just one? Oh, I pay four hundred. Someone might say. Well now, 400 of the 600 is for you. You've only tagged on $200 for insurance. And if one of your children might be from a prior relationship, then maybe the number is 100. Or if both children are included, it's 200. And so it's pretty straightforward once you know the formula, but it's a little more complicated than you might think. And it's just one of many types of insurance. There's COBRA, which is expensive, health insurance, who does the car insurance, Does someone have to get life insurance to be a guarantee for maintenance, which is alimony? A lot of stuff that might not seem exciting unless you're the person who is addressing all these issues and thinking they might not have insurance. So that's it. Yeah, stay tuned. It's a lot more complicated than I really thought about originally. Yeah. So that's it for today. What a great coach and i urge you to get in touch with carolyn she's every bit as charming and fun and warm as she seems on the podcast thank you beth yeah you wouldn't regret it for sure so i'm gonna tell you again my name's beth anderson or beth anderson filson i'm with anderson law pc it's anderson with an e for excellent and my website is bethlynandersonjd.com And my email is bath at andersonlawpc.com. And my cell phone is 303-808-4794. Our office number is 720-922-3880. Everyone gets a free consult. Just give us a call. And then Carolyn, if you want to give your contact information again, and it will
0: also be in the show notes. Thank you, Beth. Yes, it's Coaching at gmail.com is my email. Coaching. Dot com. My, you can search me on Instagram, Carolyn Elgus Coaching. I'm also on Facebook, although I'm more on Instagram, and my phone number is 720 987 7076. Thanks for having me, Beth. This was a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate the yeah. podcast.
1: I'd love to have you back. It was really fun. And um, just so you know, her name is spelled E L G E S for Elgis, which I was pronouncing Elgis until I just learned I've been calling you the wrong name. It's a common mistake. Yeah. So, thanks for joining us and remember families- My pleasure. Yeah. And just for everyone to remember that families change form. It could be death. It could be a breakup. I think sometimes of divorce, like a car accident, you wouldn't wish it on yourself or anyone, but you get back in that car later. You drive on, you move on, and you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward.